you've got a Bible, turn to the, uh, to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Uh, our, our series through Advent this year, we're calling it Carols for the King, not Carol King. Uh, there were some that when we threw that out, they were like, oh, that makes me think of Carol King. Not Carol King. Carols, like songs for the King. Um, in the book of Luke, we're given uh, four songs um, that come forward as the, Jesus arrives. Um, either the news of his arrival or his, actually his arrival, there's four different songs that come forward in the book of Luke. And uh, this is kind of the traditional section of scripture where you, you get the Christmas story, right? We, we referenced this last year, the things that Charlie Brown reads. It comes from Luke chapter two, probably the most famous uh, Christmas account. But there are four songs here that at times get overlooked, but these songs are incredible. They're rich. They are the first Christmas hymns. Uh, They are the first Christmas hymns. And so we want to take the next three weeks uh, leading up to Christmas and kind of go one by one through these four songs. And the first one comes today uh, in Luke 1, 39 through 56. The song is actually in 46 through 56, but I want us to give us a running start uh, to kind of jump into that. And so I'll read this passage, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in from there and uh, see how God would use this time. If you've got a Bible, Luke 1, verse 39, the voice of Jesus, our King, speaks to us like this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her there about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God to us. Let's pray together. God, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, would attend to us as we open your word. God, we want to be filled with your spirit today. Jesus, we want to have our eyes fixed on you. We want to be enamored by you. And so for the variety of ways we're coming in the room today, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your word go forward. Let your word be established in our hearts. Would we treasure and store up these things that are true about you and true about what you brought to us in your son. God, we love you. We need you. And it's in Jesus' strong name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you were stopped on the street corner, maybe by someone walking around giving a survey, if you were stopped and they 
asked you, um, kind of taking a, a survey on kind of biblical history or biblical literacy, and they were just to ask you the question, can you give me three traits of God's people throughout the Bible? Give me three traits that really distinguish and identify God's people throughout the Bible. If you were to read through, what are three things that stick out to you? I think if we were stopped and asked that question, it would probably startle us a little bit and we probably wouldn't know what to say, right? But, but I think we'd come up with a variety of answers. There'd be a, a variety of lists of three that would come across the room. But as we look at the scriptures, there are three traits that mark God's people throughout every age. Literally, no matter what period of history you're living in, there are three distinct traits that are common across all of them. And they remain true. They remain true in every moment of suffering, in every moment of comfort. These three traits remain. You can work your way through the Bible and consistently notice that the people of God throughout scripture are marked by eating, drinking, and singing. Three traits that you probably wouldn't readily think of if you were just to come up with that list in the street corner. But throughout scripture, it is consistent. God's people can be seen eating, drinking, and singing with remarkable regularity. With remarkable regularity. Now, I know that those things don't sound altogether unique. Like, hey, all kinds of people from all kinds of cultures and faiths eat, drink, and sing. These are matters of sustenance and celebrations for all kinds of people. But here's what I mean to say about the people of God when it comes to eating and drinking and singing. When we do these things, when the people of God do these things, these things are acts of faith. These things are acts of warfare. And these things are acts of proclamation that God has really come. Emmanuel, God with us. What do we do about that? We eat we drink and we sing. Baptists know about that, right? But other kinds of denominations, hey, the people of God recognize, Emmanuel, it's time to party. Emmanuel, it's time to sing. Emmanuel, give me good drink. And so if I were to walk you through the Old Testament, there are literally all these places in scripture where when God delivers them out of Egypt, so if you've seen Prince of Egypt or you know uh, these other kinds of movies, when God delivers his people out of Egypt, you'll find in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, your favorite books of the Bible, right? Like the ones that are highly underlined. God establishes all kinds of feasts for his people. There are all kinds of places over and over again where he literally will tell his people, you will party or I will bring judgment. Like for all the ways in which we think God is a killjoy and he's not for the thing. No, he says, I'm instituting parties for my people because they ought to know my goodness among them and it ought to cause for gathering people together and striking up the band and bringing out the good food. You will party or I will bring judgment. Now you roll through the New Testament and here's one of those fascinating statements about Jesus in the New Testament. In Luke chapter seven, well, in all the gospel accounts, there's only three summation statements like Jesus came for. So, you know, the popular ones. He came to seek and save the lost, right? He came to serve and not be served. But there's one other summation statement like that. Only one other one. In Luke 7, it says this, the son of man came eating and drinking. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve and not be served. And he came eating and drinking. Part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God is to eat and drink and be filled with God, right? 
He came eating and drinking. We could roll all the way through, and we'll talk more about that one later, but it's also true that the people of God sing. Like, it's a marker of who we are. The longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, is literally a songbook. It's a songbook for the nation of Israel. Like, those are the songs they would sing. Like, that's how they would get together. When we would sing our songs as we did on the front end, they would open up the Psalms, and they would throw those things to music. It's the longest book in the Bible, songs of joy, lament, songs of struggle and celebration and everything in between. King David in the Old Testament, he appointed 288 people, First Chronicles tells us, 288 people in his kingdom. Their sole responsibility was to write music and sing. Like it was a marker of God's presence with his people. We're gonna sing. We're gonna do it. The same is true in the New Testament. The book of Revelation, where this whole thing ends and gives us a vision of God's throne, the music is loud. Like, like, like if, if our music felt loud to you today, you're gonna have redeemed, glorified ears that can hold it because it's louder in heaven. It is loud and it never stops. And why? Because when you encounter God, when you encounter his goodness and his love collides with you, there's almost no other response you can do but to sing but to sing. And so we know this instinctively when it comes to things that are deep for us and meaningful and important. When it comes to these kinds of things we sing, here's an example. This is why we have so many love songs in our culture, right? It's like the most popular theme of songwriters, love. It's deep, it's meaningful, it's important to us. We have things like fight songs and national anthems. We even have a song to acknowledge birthdays. Like when things happen to us that are meaningful or our moments to remember, we sing. We know this instinctively. And yet there is nothing, there is no one more deep, meaningful, and important than God himself. And so when he collides with the human soul, songs come forward. It's the natural response of goodness and love colliding with you. And this is what's going on in Luke chapter 1, and in Luke chapter two, and when it's heard that Jesus is arriving, and when he arrives, songs start happening. In chapters two, uh, in these two chapters, we get four songs. These are the OG Christmas carols, right? Like these are the original ones. There's no Bing, there's no Sinatra, there's no Mariah Carey, thank God, right? Like the, we just get OG Christmas carols. These are the songs of a teenage peasant girl surprised by joy. The songs of a respected yet disenchanted priest who now has renewed faith. The song of an elderly man who's comforted in his final days of breath. And the songs of angels as they accompany the king's arrival. And so in our text today, we get the very first Christmas carol ever sung. And it's sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. A little context is helpful for this. So in the text we read at the beginning of our time together, just days before Mary scooted off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, she had been visited by the angel Gabriel who came to tell her that the Lord was gonna come upon her by the Holy Spirit and place a child in her womb. She was a teenage peasant girl from the backwoods town of Nazareth. This freaked her out a little bit, right? Like this vision, this word from the angel freaked her out a little bit. She had no idea what to do with it. In fact, the text tells us before we read today that she doubted the angel twice. Like, so there's some of you that go, man, if I could just have a vision of God, if an angel could just come down, if he could just tell me some stuff, that's what happened to her. And she goes, you're crazy. 
You have no idea what you're talking about. So what does she do? The first thing she does, the scriptures tell us, she made haste. Translation, she was freaked out and she thought, I probably just had some bad hummus last night and I need to go talk to my cousin Elizabeth. She can sort this out for me. She's hoping to go to Elizabeth and just have confirmed for her, yeah, that really is crazy. Uh, here, let me serve you some other food and, and get some hot drink and you'll be fine. Uh, that's ridiculous. The exact opposite happens. Look back at verse 39. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town called Judah, verse 40. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, again, her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in her womb, and she had been previously barren. It was a miracle she was pregnant. The baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy, it says, 44. And 45, and blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken for her. And so all Mary does is show up looking to be confirmed that this is crazy from the angel. The exact opposite happens. She didn't even have to explain the vision that came to her. She just walked through the threshold of the door and she already knew, oh, this is real. This is real. Elizabeth confirms it because of what was God was doing in her. He knew God was doing something in Mary. And when this happened, it all clicked for Mary. That get dropped. This isn't bad hummus. This isn't a sleepless night. Like this is real time, literal. God has spoken and God is about to do something in the world. When it drops for her, she begins to sing. So I just want to pause for just a second and, and, and not abstract this as a story from a couple of thousand years ago. What I love about these biblical narratives is that they're so earthy and gritty and they're caught up with real time people like you and me. So think for a second, what would you do if this clicked for you? Put yourself in Mary's shoes. If you're a guy, put, you put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're going to parent the son of God Okay, when the dust settles and you stop kind of wigging out, then you're gonna, you're gonna sing. Like it's what you're going to do. I can predict your response. And the whole theme of her song is what God is like. She just sings of his character. She anchors her soul. And listen, when this happened, it wasn't like, Mary, you're going to parent the son of God and all life is gonna go smooth and easy and peaceful for you. It was in fact the opposite. You're going to parent the son of God and it's now going to get massively difficult for you. She was only betrothed to be married, not yet married. The law would have said in that day, a woman pregnant out of wedlock could have been justly stoned. So, so she's now thinking, I hope Joseph stays with me. I hope he comes. Like her whole life was about to go nuts, right? And she sings. She anchors her soul in the midst of a bunch of bizarre words from God and experiences. She anchors her soul and she unleashes praise on the character of God. Like that's what steadies her amidst this moment. And so this song is good news for you in me, this is not just Mary's song. This is all of our tune if we would look up to his character. And there's two things I wanna point out from this 
as we move through. So look back at verse 46. The first thing I want you to see is that God is mindful. God is mindful, 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In verse 48, that phrase, for he has looked, is more literally translated, he has had regard or he has been mindful. God's been thoughtful of Mary. Mary begins her song just simply celebrating because God has taken notice of her. He has not cast her off. He has not overlooked her. He is well acquainted with her. He knows exactly who she is. He he knows where she's come from. He knows what she's gone through. There is nothing about Mary that God is unaware of. And so she sings. Her soul magnifies. Her spirit rejoices. God has not used his knowledge of Mary. He has not used his knowledge of her against her. He uses his knowledge of her for her good and acts on her behalf. Mary sings because God could have found a more wealthy woman to bring this news to. God could have found a, more, uh, a woman with a more well-established family name, a better reputation, someone that actually had an education. Instead, with eyes wide open, he was without reservation choosing this uneducated peasant girl from the backwoods town of Nazareth. Later in the New Testament, we find out the kind of reputation that Nazareth, her hometown had, that people say, surely nothing good comes from Nazareth. Surely nothing good. He chooses this one from this town. Mary is singing because though she may be very insignificant in the eyes of the world, she has worth in the eyes of the one who's bringing redemption into the world, right? The world would see her as someone to pass over. God sees her as someone through whom to bring redemption. So just just pause for a moment. I know that some of you are walking in today and and maybe you're present here and you're hearing this, this sermon and you are currently in a place where you feel overlooked. You feel forgotten. You feel unappreciated. Some of you are totally mad at God this morning because you don't feel he has helped you in the way that you think he should or the way that you've asked him to. And so you kind of have no idea what to do with God this morning. But what Mary is singing, what Mary puts forward is that God's greatness is revealed to us in the reality that he's personally mindful of you. His greatness is revealed not in simply the fact that he's God, so he's great, get over it and deal with it. That's not how his greatness is revealed. His greatness is revealed in the fact that he's personally mindful of you. He's mindful of you. And her song is beautiful on a personal level, but her song is also beautiful because it's not just that Mary's mind, or that God is mindful of Mary, but he's mindful of all of his people. Look at verse 54. It says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. The same mindful word. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so what does this mean? Mary knows exactly what is happening with her pregnancy. As soon as the knowledge drops 
and establishes in her. She knows what's going on. God is fulfilling in her pregnancy a promise that came forward in Genesis chapter three, like literally the fourth page of the Bible. He's fulfilling a promise way back there that God is making good on the promise that when sin entered the world through Eve and Adam, that God would send one to crush the head of that serpent and push back the curse of sin. Joy to the world. He makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Push back the curse of sin. There's a painting that I wanna show you, one of my favorite paintings. This painting captures what's being talked about in, in Mary's song of her being, of God being mindful of all his people. Eve looked forward to the day when God would undo the darkness and deception of her sin. And so Eve is looking upon Mary and her pregnancy as the one who will push back the sin that she committed. And through Mary will come the one who crushes the head of the serpent. God's promises was told to Adam and Eve. It carried through Abraham. It carried through Moses. It continued through the prophets and it didn't die with the 400 years of silence at the end of the book of Malachi, the final words of the Old Testament. It didn't die there. The word of Jesus was coming true at the word of the angel that this pregnancy would come forward. At no point has God ever been compromised in making good on his promises. At no point has God ever been compromised in making good on his promises. And so Mary sings of God's constant remembrance of his people. His timing was for sure not Eve's timing. His timing was not Abraham's timing. It wasn't Moses' timing. It wasn't David's timing. It wasn't Isaiah's or Jeremiah's or Hosea's or you name the other prophets of your favorite Old Testament. It wasn't any of their timing, but the scriptures tell us at just the right time, God sent forth his son, Galatians 4. So let that sit on you for a second. God never forgets or fails on his promises. God is mindful of you. Again, I don't know how you're coming in today. He's mindful of you. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's not because you have earned something or proved something or somehow established yourself to have good street cred with God that he would be mindful of you. His mindfulness has nothing to do with you. His mindfulness of you is intricate, it's specific, and it's entirely rooted in his mercy. He's mindful. He's mindful. There is nothing about you that qualifies you to get his attention. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what you're insecure about. He knows your wounds. He knows your disappointments. He knows where some of you are sorrowful today. He knows the things that quicken your pulse and he knows the things that keep you awake at night. He knows these things. And maybe you're here and you don't believe in God because you don't like him. Like you would just be honest enough to say, I don't believe in God because I don't like him. In your mind, if God is real, then surely he's someone who's distant and uncaring and unthoughtful and unhelpful. And you don't believe in God. And to you, I would say this. If that's who God is, I don't believe in him either. I, I don't believe in him either, but that's not who the Bible tells us who God is. He's mindful, he's thoughtful, he sees and he knows. And so here's a question 
I just want you to process for a moment. Where in your life do you feel overlooked or forgotten by God? Where in your life do you feel overlooked or forgotten by God? Where have you been asking for help with seemingly no relief? Where is that place? It's uncomfortable to name that place (laughs) because it feels really honest, but there's power in naming that place because this song is an invitation. Hold God to his word. He loves it when his people hold him to his character. God loves that. He's not afraid of you keeping him in his word. He's not afraid of that. The whole point of Christmas is that God sees and knows and he has action and ability to help. And so this leads to the second theme of Mary's song. The first is that he's mindful. The second is that he's mighty. And I love that these two themes come together because God's power and how he uses it makes his mindfulness all the more meaningful. Look back at verse 49. It says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his name is holy and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation and he has shown strength with his arm. This is where Mary really begins to roar in this song. Like if there's a moment where like in a performance of this song, like you just go, man, that girl has some pipes. Like this is that moment. Like she roars in this moment. This is not just about God being mighty, but it's that he uses his might for our good. It's not that God just boasts and flexes to say, look at how strong I am. He boasts and flexes on behalf of the good of his people. And so Mary is not singing. Listen, this is huge. Mary is not singing because she's discovered a code of ethics, a new standard to live by that made her life more clear. She's not singing because she accomplished some new religious moralistic breakthrough. She's not singing simply because she understands there is a God. That's not why she's singing. She is singing with soul, full of rejoicing in the midst of her crazy situation because God has acted on her behalf. That's why she sings. It's not moralism. It's not religion. It's not, hey, there is a God. It's, no, there's a God and he's helping me. Let's sing. It's not just that there is a God or it's not just that he's mindful but that he's mindful and mighty in real time. And listen, here's what's so wild about this and where we'll end today. He's mindful and mighty for the most unsuspecting of people. The question you have to ask, so who, who, does, who gets this kind of mindfulness and help? Look again at how she sings. And I'm gonna warn you, part of this Christmas song is very unsentimental in the way we think of Christmas songs. Like this does not sound the same way that all of our Christmas songs go. In verse 50, she says that his mercy is for those who fear him. That's who it's for. Those who submit to him, who revere him, who have their life ordered by him. Verse 51, she sings, he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their heart. That's not very sentimental. (laughs) Verse 52, she keeps going. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So God does help some, but there's others he tears down. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things 
and the rich he has sent away empty. These don't sound like Christmas lyrics. These don't sound like 104.1 Christmas songs. But this is true. Can you imagine singing these lyrics? This sounds exactly the opposite of our songs today. Our songs today want to boast about inner strength. They want to boast about making a life for yourself. But it's clear in this song that God is mighty, but not for those who think that they are mighty. God is mighty, but not for those who think they have it all together. His mercy and might are not for those who think they have everything within themselves. That's not for who, it's not who his mercy and might are for. It says he scatters the proud. He brings down the lofty. He sends away the rich empty. All the people that our world tends to notice and glorify and praise, they don't stand so impressive before God for the same reasons. They don't do it. And on the other side, all the people and the traits that the world overlooks Those are the ones who God pays special attention to and extends special might. On the other hand, this is what the text says. So he scatters the proud, brings down the lofty, sends away the rich. On the other side, he lifts the humble. And the word humble here literally means at rock bottom. He lifts those at rock bottom. He fills the hungry. He satisfies with good things. And listen, this song isn't using words like humble and hungry just in a simply spiritual matter, like just kind of longing and aching for things. It's literal historical fact. The news about Jesus came to those who were poor first. The news about Jesus goes first to the homeless, the disenfranchised, the addicted, and the outcasted. That's literally who gets the gospel first. And so here's the bottom line where we land today. Mary sings because God is for those who know they have nothing to bring to the table. That's why she sings. She sings because Jesus has come for those who know they are at rock bottom and he acts to lift them. God is for those who, for whatever reason, tend to believe that God would otherwise have nothing to do with them. He's for those. If you believe today, that God would want to have nothing to do with someone like me, you're exactly the kind of person he wants something to do with. You're exactly the kind, you totally qualify. You have only to look to Jesus and to see that God receives you. Let's, Let's stand together today.